The reason I'm going after data centers is because data centers is a highly critical segment. And that's actually our approach or our strategy here at Honeywell is to go after highly critical markets. What are some other examples of highly critical markets? Think of hospitals where you have some very specific business outcomes you want to solve. Think of airports. Think of uh, data centers like what I'm going after. Think of prisons, uh, correctional facilities, courtrooms, casinos. All those markets are highly critical and they have business outcomes that can be achieved using technology. And data centers is one of them. You are listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, it's real estate and industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by Platform of Trust. I like Platform of Trust because it enables companies to create value from any type of data. Therefore, it saves time, money, and it's the perfect tool for companies who want to make data-driven decisions on data they can trust. They make it easy to collect, harmonize, and trust the data from different sources and basically any source that you want. And you don't need to hire 10 IT technicians or spend hundreds of thousands for a cloud platform because Platform of Trust can manage integrations and you'll see if something goes down in real time. Platform of Trust enables companies to take action based on the data that you can trust. Today, not tomorrow. In this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast, we are talking to Omar Jacobi from Honeywell Systems. He is a future shaper who's turning buildings into strategic assets. We talk about why Honeywell goes after highly critical segments like data centers, where we also get to know his approach to finding new customers. We discuss connected buildings, the cost of irrelevance, digital twins, mesh sensors from connected networks, and the importance of scalability and thinking ahead. A very interesting episode where Omar also proves what a great listener he is. Go above and beyond with the Beyond Buildings podcast. My name is Omar. I work at Honeywell as a business consultant, which basically means uh, I'm a hunter for new business in the smart building technology world. I've been in the building automation industry my entire career, my entire long career of seven years. <laughs> I started off actually as a tech, doing work on the ground, commissioning, doing design drawings, that sort of stuff, and then moved into the dark side or the bright side, whatever you want to call it, of sales. <laughs> been with Honeywell for a year and a half or so, now selling everything from building automation, security, fire systems, and then everything connected. Okay, cool. So who's your typical customer? Like you, decision makers? Is it SIs or is it, uh, who is it? It's a two-pronged uh, answer. One, it would be the uh, end users. So if I'm approaching end users uh, directly, people who own the building, uh, the actual enterprise, right? Or if it's a new construction, then your customer could be, it's not your direct customer, but you're working with consultants and contractors and the end users. So uh, it could be different. So if it's an existing building, then it'll be the end user. If it's not, then you got to deal with the whole ecosystem. Cool. And you said like before you're moving into more data centers, maybe you're looking at that as a different so like target segment. Is that something that yes. you worked with before? Or what's the reasoning behind going into data centers today? <laughs> the reason I'm going after data centers is because data centers is a highly critical segment. And that's actually our approach or our strategy here at Honeywell is to go after highly critical markets. What are some other examples of highly critical markets? Think of hospitals where you have some very specific business outcomes you want to solve. Think of airports. Think of uh, data centers like what I'm going after. Think of prisons, uh, correctional facilities, courtrooms, casinos. All those markets are highly critical and they have business outcomes that can be achieved using technology. And data centers is one of them. The way we're divided at Honeywell is we focus on separate vertical markets. And you're seeing that with a lot of companies, actually, because especially now with how uh, technology is transforming, 
we're no longer looking at a building automation system where it doesn't really matter. It's just a building automation system. It's standard. It, you're now using this technology to solve actual business outcomes. And guess what? A data center is looking for different business outcomes than, let's say, a hospital, than a manufacturing plant. So the idea is that, okay, you focus on one market, understand what's going on in that market, what's going on in that industry, what are their typical objectives, what are their typical challenges, and what can the technology that we have, how can it help them? solve those outcomes. So in a data center, a data center is really three things. You're looking at keeping it safe, efficient, and resilient, right? And uh, if you look at a data center, the majority of the cost is actually the stuff we work with all the time, power from cooling, and, and then you have your security and you want to keep it safe. So it's very relevant to the buildings industry. When did you start with the data centers? Was it just recently or? Yeah, like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how do you go about like finding information about the potential customers and the segments? Yeah, so first you just start by typical reading about the industry, right? I look at research papers. A lot of times you'll see like the big four companies, Deloitte, uh, PwC, these guys, they'll have really good look of the market. And then you want to get used to some of the lingo, co-location, hyperscale, private enterprise, like all that stuff. So you want to get used to that. From there, it's easy to find who are the biggest uh, data center players and where are they planning to build new data centers. And then there's really good websites like datacentermaps.com. It'll tell you where every data center is in the world, right? So from there, I put these in a list. I'll start going on LinkedIn and reaching out to people and asking them to have conversations. <laughs> nice. And then if you remember, I said there's a two-pronged approach. You have the contractors and consultants. That's a little harder actually to find out. Because data center construction, not any constructor can go and build a data center. They have to be specialized more than, let's say, a commercial building. So then you want to also touch those. So identifying who are the constructors that are really advanced in data center constructions and trying to talk yeah. to them as well. In this niche, then, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting to talk about. So what do you, based on the research that you've done or the research that you've read and also the potential customers that you talk to, I mean, what are the problems that they want to get solved? Do you have an idea of that yet? I'm still trying to formulate that, right? But I think the biggest thing that's going to be happening right now, I have read about it in the news a few times, is that because everyone's working from home, so this is very recent, you're seeing outages. Netflix uh, stopped. Even I'm watching YouTube yesterday, and I every time I'm watching YouTube, I'm like, what's going on? Why is the resolution low? But YouTube is actually like going and reducing. Usually you'll play YouTube and it'll play at 1080 or 4K. But now they're reducing the resolution because there's so much people sitting at home watching YouTube. What does that mean? That means there's a lot of heavy network traffic. But heavy network traffic, that means all the servers are working hard, which means they're releasing more heat, which means not only are the servers overloaded, but everything else is overloaded. So if everything else is overloaded, what does that mean? You're probably going to have more breakdowns. And if you don't have something predictive that's looking at how things are running and when something's going to break down, hey, guess what? When a VAV box drops down in a commercial building, it's not a big deal. Like maybe yeah. someone will complain four hours later, hey, I'm a, a little cold. But here you have service level agreements. You'll pay a crazy amount of money for dropping the connection. So I think it's uh, the resiliency part is going to be even more important. And how do we keep it so that there's no uh, cutting in service and ensuring continuity? What does that mean? Okay, so for the customer, they have the SLAs, and of course, they have to uphold these SLAs, right? How do you work with them, with your partners, or with your the customers? Because it's what do you call it, like Honeywell, do you have all the solutions in place for data centers, or do you actually work with partners to to figure out more of what it needs to be around the data center? Or is it just like in the data center or is it more like working, in, let's say, with telcos, uh, understand like the whole supply chain of things or how the dynamics work in a more of a smart grid capacity? Yeah. Honeywell does is, you know, in the data center, you've always had the idea of a DSIM, right? A data center infrastructure management. And that's more on the IT side of things where I think what we do is environmental DSIM, right? So it's uh, temperature control security, fire detection, very early fire detection. I don't know if you know about the product line uh, called Vesta. Honeywell acquired them, but it's basically in 75% of data centers in, around the world. Any data center will put a Vesta system. Basically, it's a fire system where 
usually you'll have a fire, a typical fire system, you'll have a fire sensor along the wall and then it's waiting for the smoke to come to it. Whereas with a VESA, it's actively always pulling in air from different locations. So you'll have like a probe in a rack and it's always pulling yeah. air. So if you even get a tiny bit of smoke, you'll yeah, get an alarm. It's more yeah. active than reactive. Exactly. Yeah, stuff that we don't do. I wouldn't say they're partners but you're doing integrations, right? So a lot of the crack units, we don't manufacture crack units, but you got to integrate the dose. So whatever integration that needs to happen in the building. So doing these integrations, is that something that is, uh, who's the, like, is that a pain or is that a pain for the customer? Is that a pain for you? Or who does the integration? Or is that also like a partner, a contractor, a subcontractor that does these things? With Honeywell, yeah. But I have worked on data centers in my previous role, yeah, and integration can sometimes be a pain, as we know, right? It'll say it's a backnet unit and, oh, yeah, it's a plug and play, but then it's not like that at all. And you have 200 points, then 150 of them don't do anything. Change set point and you change it and it does nothing. There's always pain uh, with integration, unfortunately. Why do you think that is, though? Oh, that's a rabbit hole. So many things, of course. I mean, I think like the lack of standards or lack of enforcing standards, I guess. And it depends on like what you see. If you look at building automation perspective, of course, you got backing it as an open protocol. And open means open, good and bad, of course. Both security-wise that it's super open. And also, of course, like the bash that backing has got from a long time that it's got different dialects. So it depends on how you install it which is the difference to KNX and these lighting systems, or they are more strict that you have like one way to do it, which is also good and bad because then you have, let's say with Modbus, you have tag lists and you have these lists without understanding these lists of how the system is set up. You have no way also like understanding how the system is set up, right? So it's that, I mean, it's of course like different integrations and how that is being done today with metadata tagging and of course semantic interoperability of like the underlying data that sits behind it from different vendors. So even if we're talking about the same thing, of course, everyone says it's something different. And then again, like the integration within the building automation sphere, as in even though you have open APIs, you have to use the software tool from the specific vendor to change any set points or to change the control strategy. That in itself is one of the largest problems when you actually go end to end. So like creating integrations and getting the data out is a pain from time to time, but it's not that bad. It's harmonizing the data, making sense of the data and actually doing something with it. And for me, I came up with something pretty recently, which is a data to impact loop. So maybe you can look at that as well. I think it's pretty cool, to be honest, not only because I made it up, but I actually tried it with a couple of customers and partners and they like it as well. So Basically why that is, I mean, if you look at a data center or anything that you want to get data out of, of course, you have to understand, okay, where is the data coming from? And then you map that out and say like there are 10 APIs or 20 or 7,000 sources or whatever it could be. And then you say like, okay, data, and then you have it turning that into information, whatever like the time or the effort or the pain that involves. Then you have information that gets to insight. Okay, you have that information somewhere. Okay, how do you create insights of it, right? And then it's to insights and then it's to action. Okay, now you have the insights. Wow, we know that this is a problem. What are we going to do about it? Do we have a plan for this? And then you take action on it, hopefully, or whatever you want to do. And action could also be inaction because that's also an action in itself. And then you yeah. do an action. And then even if you come this far, what I would say, that could take anything from forever to six months to one day, depending on what you do and how you do it, of course. Then it's the action. And then it leads to impact. Okay, how do you actually measure the stuff that you're doing? Do you actually measure this in order to so like create a continuous innovation or improvement or learning organization? So that's one of the most important things. So you have data to information, information to insight, insight to action, action to impact. And if you have that impact, if you assess that, that's also data. So that comes back to the loop, right? So you have like the impact and then data to information yeah. to insight. So everywhere I've looked, like bar none, even with the stuff that uh, I've been customers or partners have been doing, it's broken. Either with huge lead times of turning the data into information or the information to insight or any of these steps. So this is what I'm doing with my customers today. We talked a little bit before, like what I do as a consultant and why this is important, why companies are paying me the big bucks, I guess. It's basically, first of all, I can see into the future what's going to happen in the next 10 years, but exactly starting with the process 
So I'm doing this for a couple of construction players where they have a, a process that they're looking at right now and they want to get started or get going or succeed with any digital initiative, right? What is the data to impact look for what are your key processes? So that means like they maybe they started with what takes the most time, what uh, costs the most money, or what is the most boring stuff or all like something to start with. And mm-hmm. not going into the vertical sense, but actually looking at it from end to end. What is the process that we're doing this? Which ones are the stakeholders? What is the data that we need to take out? And then how do we turn that data information? We look at it early on. Sometimes data is just there and no one is doing anything with it. Or it takes a lot of time in turning that data into information. But then, okay, what insight does that lead to? And who are the stakeholders that get get this insight? Maybe it's just like an Excel sheet that needs to the regional manager or that manager just says, okay, wow, I know more about this now. Okay, but what do you do with it? Nothing. It's like all the sales that you're doing as well. You go at it, let's say 50 customers this month, and then you see, okay, I had a close rate of 50% or whatever it could be, right? That's just like information. Okay, going back and understanding, okay, why is that? Is that they're the wrong customers or like I have this one or I'm reaching 1,000 people, but I'm actually just getting to 20, right? So that's the insight, finding out like, why is this, right? Then it's about, okay, now I know why, but what do you actually do with it? Do you improve the steps that you're taking? Are you shifting your strategy? What are you doing with that, right? And then you can say, okay, now we're shifting it, trying out for a couple of months. And then you measure, okay, what is the impact these changes did to whatever it is, right? And then you actually do that again. And then you have like the data to impact feedback loop. But a lot of the companies, they don't have this in place. They don't think about it that way. And one of the benefits, of course, with digital twins is that you can do these scenarios without actually doing it. So you yeah. can actually create this loop in a digital kind of way. So instead of you trying this out and testing it out for three months or whatever, you can run these like loops and finding out, okay, holy, this is the optimal way to go. And you can do this tomorrow. So yeah. it's like going through this process first in a manual kind of way and sort of like getting the grips of understanding of what can be done much more efficiently. But then it's also adding the digital tools as in machine learning, AI, whatever, to go through scenarios. You have like, okay, this is what I want to reach and go to that much, much faster. So that was a super long answer. And I didn't want to answer really because I wanted to ask you questions, but (laughs) I couldn't help myself. I I want to ask more questions. But okay, so if we go back to... Well, let's just stick with data sense just quick. So want to solve their problems. So what do you think is the, their solution then? I mean, of course, it's everything Honeywell. So how do you go about it in like convincing or like selling the solution to your customers? What is it that stands out with your solution, I guess, with Honeywell? Yeah. So from an environmental point of view, the idea of putting everything on a single interface seamlessly integrated from the fire to the security to the HVAC and having an interface that really makes it easy. Even if you've never operated a building before, you should be able to stand in front of this interface. The same way is is if I give you a uh, touchscreen phone, it's not a Samsung and it's not an iPhone, but you'll be able to figure it out, right? And the idea is that you should be able to bring all this data in the building and visualize it in a way that it's so easy for you to respond to incidents because quick response is a very crucial part of operating a data center. So that's one part of the value of what Honeywell brings is the integration of all these building systems seamlessly. The other thing is obviously what you were just mentioning about is using the machine learning and AI tools to start predicting, because obviously we talked about why that's so important in a data center, right? To start predicting failures and mitigating failures. And that's where the uh, Honeywell Forge platform, I think, comes in, right? Where it's almost like a digital twin, because that's, and we've talked about this before. To me, a digital twin is a platform that will bring in all this data and normalize it in a way that it's usable by anyone else. In a, in a, so that's interoperable, right? And then it's extensible yeah. as well. So I think data centers also want to get to that future part. One interesting thing about data centers that I've, I've kind of known, but now I realize it because of, I'm in it. We talk about smart buildings, but if you look at a data center, it's actually a very smart building and super smart. It's, it already has a lot of the predictive stuff. It has 
unbelievable digital twins. The idea of a digital twin, it's been in the data center for a long time. You know, you have the racks, you can go in and see the temperature exactly what it is in a rack. And it makes me wonder, why is it like that with data centers, but not with other buildings? And I think it's just the idea that you got to have that service level agreement. Machines are more important than people, I guess. Yeah, unfortunately. When I was working for Swigon, we talked about some similar stuff like uh, geographical differences between Sweden, Europe, and also the US. And I think like here in Sweden or like in Europe, it's like the insurance companies insure people here more. That's like the most important thing. But in the US, it's more like uh, of the assets and the actual infrastructure. That's where it gets insured. Like that's sort of like one of the most important things that that's covered and not so much the people in terms of like uh, work. Well, anything yeah, in the building. Sure. To be I, I believe it. But... Okay, so but just sticking to it with um, digital twins. So when you see like you can go in and you see all this kind of stuff, is that also like a visual representation that they made that up as in, okay, there is a fire or there we see some smoke here. It's not in a dashboard setting, but it's actually you're seeing the, the data center. It's being mapped out in a digital twin. You can see it's in rack 46 or exactly. something like that. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. To take it a step further and to continue actually answering your question, like you said, there's a little bit of smoke off rack 17, whatever, right? That'll immediately show up on your interface. And if you click on it, you'll see like an exclamation mark. If you click on it, you know, there's the idea of MOPs or SOPs, the standard operating procedures in the data oh, centers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very important thing, right? Everything has a standard operating procedure. And actually, before you do any work anytime at a data center, you got to fill up something called a MOP which is basically playing out every scenario. Okay, if this happens, what's the recovery? If this happens, what's the recovery? If, if this happens, what's the recovery? So you can digitize all that as well and have timestamps on it so that when something happens, you just hit that play button. It'll tell you, okay, go and turn off this rack. Some steps you can't even skip unless you do it because it's a critical step. So you'll turn off this yeah. step. And then let's say you just skip something. That's all timestamped. And who is the person that did that, right? So there's accountability. I had no idea. So data centers are just something that I've been uh, like in touch with or like what I call it, like it's a tangent. And I'm working with this Californian company that does wireless mesh sensoring. And we did an install for, I think, like the most advanced data center here in Sweden from Binero. So uh, yeah, shout out to Binero. And yeah. because they didn't really believe, they, they, they came to me and they said, okay, hey, Nicholas, we see you're working in the smart building space, blah, blah, blah. We're thinking about, um, I mean, getting our data center more connected. So it was connected to like some HVAC, these classic things, right? But they wanted to measure more granularly, like on rack levels as well. Because yeah. they could see yeah. like, even though it was newly constructed, constructed they, they, they saw that it wasn't granular enough. So they had looked at some different solutions. Most of the stuff was wiring. And it was too expensive or it was too cumbersome, all of these kind of things. And then I said, yeah, well, why don't you try wireless? And they said, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, we have these zones. It's like super duper, like we can't have any interference. We can't do this, this and that. I mean, no, but just give it a try. I mean, just do it for a couple of racks and then you can see if it works or not. So I ended up sending them just like a starter kit from Connectric Networks. So wireless mesh, super scalable, ultra scalable and robust. And it worked like phenomenally, like they got the data to an endpoint and because they were pretty technical themselves, they could just grab the data from an API and then they had their own dashboarding solutions. They wanted to use, I think it was Prometheus, Grafana and some something else as well, just to yeah. create these things for themselves, just to play with. And I mean, then they expanded uh, quite a lot into the whole data center. And now I'm using it also to push out to other data centers as well, of course, because I think like the plug and playness wireless in regards to everything that you have to do with setting up the wires, daisy chaining it, all of these things. It's uh, an existing building. It's very difficult. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the whole thing. So it's just like a retrofit that was done more or less in a day. Yeah. Super easy with some help from the guys in California doing it here in Sweden, right? So now we're I'm working with a couple of construction companies and putting this in from the get-go. At least that's the idea. So you have wireless. I mean, also that in itself saves so much work, time, cost, all of these kind of things. So is that something that you've seen 
or you've heard of, like working with wireless? I have actually. My older company, and I don't know the exact product that they use or whatever, but it was the same kind of scenario where they needed to monitor certain racks and the only solution was a wireless solution. I know they had some issues with that at the time, maybe because it was quite a while ago before you were even hearing about wireless sensors, right? So yeah, and I know when they first came out, the wireless sensors... The battery wasn't so good that there yeah, were exactly, or it wasn't scalable enough, or we had this home automation problems. And I think one of the biggest, if you just go in quickly about wireless, because that's my previous so like <laughs> job, I guess <laughs> I, I love talking about it. I mean, it's that you use home automation stuff for industrial stuff. And I think that's it's not scalable, it's not robust enough, and it's not secure. And now yeah. with the cutting edge solutions from connected networks and similarities or similar companies. It's something that is totally different. You can scale up to 100,000 sensors. You can equip whole warehouses. Their ability to scale is something that is, there's very, very few companies that can do it, even at a sort of like, they're not even close, to be honest. And is it as reliable as a hard wire? Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole point. So it's 100% data. It's 100% data collection. It's 100%. So that's why the AI companies and the machine learning companies that I'm partnering up with, I mean, they're demanding this. If you look at companies, yeah, I can't actually mention it because I'm under NDA, but that require premium segment solutions. This is the only one or one of the few ones that fall into this category. 100% data, 100% uptime, super scalable, secure, robust. That's sort of like, that's the future, but it's such a tough sell, especially in an industry like this, which is pretty conservative. There are long lead times from construction to finish. And wireless in itself is not something that a lot of companies are using still. Because either you have a bad history because they done it five years ago, then it didn't work, or all of these different things, right? But I mean, I, th- I think we're seeing it more and more plug and play for factories. That's what I'm going towards now more and more, like from real estate to construction to also to Industry 4.0 initiatives, because they have a demand for real-time, scalable, secure data in a different yeah. way than maybe like buildings today. They need to augment the data, but then you can have some different sensors that not necessarily talk like every five seconds, but every 10 minutes to to have like trend data. But I think there's a difference as well when you're talking about like this whole smart city, smart grid inclusivity, because that's when you have to have like real-time data in a much, much deeper sense, because you have a data center over here that so like absorbs a lot of energy. And so then you're gonna have like peaks and then like the, the buildings as well as the, what I call like the electric vehicles, Everything has to work in a symbiosis, and that's when buildings have to be much, much more responsive and to be able to act on the data that they see. And you can't do that with this direct-to-cloud sensors. You can't do that with the home automation sensors. So they become actually like obsolete in a heartbeat. So the only thing that is built for the end are these kind of sensors. There are wireless mesh. We have local control in the building itself so they can act on whatever they see in the building as well as in the whole smart city kind of thing. So for me, wireless mesh, it's everything that I use if I'm going to use wireless and especially the stuff from Connectric because I've seen it firsthand that it works. I've seen especially the data center, like their reviews afterwards, like they try to find everything. They try to do it, but they couldn't do it with anything else. I'm going to look into them further because another use case is Okay, yeah, for very high-end data centers, that's an amazing use case. But what about for, like, community housing, right? So budgets are not that high. You know, you don't have that much money to throw around on an even automation system. But you have mechanical equipment, and you have a building, and if something goes down, which something has in the past, and people lived with no hot water for two days, they want to monitor it without installing crazy stuff. And maybe something like this, is that a good fit for it, or am I misunderstanding it? Yeah, absolutely. I think like on a sensor level, it costs a little bit more than the generic ones, maybe times two. So if something costs like 75 bucks. Uh, times times two of a temperature sensor? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. It depends because if we're talking about Connector, for instance, their stuff is Swiss made and American made. So it lasts longer, it's more precise. So if you're a nerdist around like sensor technology, you really need like the calibration of the sensor is like important, like super important, because if it's something different for like two degrees, of course, it's not great, right? So yeah, this is definitely something that is scalable. And I think like it goes back to what you said at the beginning of what data centers rely on. It's actually resiliency, right? So one of the main components is resiliency. 
And if you're looking at it from a smart city perspective, resiliency is one of the most important things, especially now during COVID and Corona, like how do we see the energy consumption as well as the distribution in our city? It's horrible because there's such a different demand that we see today. And what if something actually happens with either the food supply, the energy distribution or water distribution, all of these kind of things. And a lot of companies today, so I'm involved in a couple of initiatives like this, where resiliency is their number one thing that they want to measure. A lot of companies don't really understand or they don't know, as well as cities, what is it that we're actually providing for our customer, right? What is the value? If you're looking at a city on a city level or mayors or whatever it is, what is it that we should provide for the city, for the people living in the city, right? The normal humans. It should be like comfort, security. And if something happens with our drinkable water or the food supply, we have a plan B. Now, I mean, if you look at maybe the US or any city, any country, what is the plan, right? And not having a plan three months after the fact. And some countries, I'm not going to mention which, they don't really seem to have a plan still. If you go to a granular level right now, if you know what's going to happen in a digital twin setting, so to say, right? So one example, and you tell me if this is interesting or not. I find it interesting. Yeah. So that's why. I'm, yeah, that's why it is. On the news the other day here in Sweden, there was this um, news flash and said, okay, the agency for country responsiveness. So like if something happens, they're the ones that are going to plan this out, right? They said, okay, there might be a shortage of drinkable water in the near future because of COVID and Corona. Even if uh, a city says, no, no, but we got like three purification plants outside the city. We're solid, right? Nothing's going to happen. But what if the chemicals involved in the purification process of the water runs out? And that's exactly what is happening. So it's yeah. not so like direct route to the city. It's a supply chain of the ones that have the chemicals that needs to go into the plant or purifying the water that goes into the city, right? So if you're talking about digital twins, that's what a digital twin is for, right? So not only the visual aspect of the physical thing, it's actually the relationship between, okay, how does the stuff actually get there? And the whole supply chain, subcontractors, all of these kind of things. Because if they would have seen, okay, we see that our distributor, they're saying like, okay, we're going to run out. Then they see that three months before it actually happens. And then it's probably six months before it actually could happen in the city. Because you probably have a stockpile or something as well. So the difference there is like, you can feel really secure about the way we're managing our city. Because you don't have to say that it's a digital twin, of course. But I mean, we can say that we have a plan A. We have a plan B, we have a plan C, and we have this plan in ready like six months before or like nine months then before it actually could happen, right? Then you can run the scenarios and say, okay, where are these chemicals being produced? You can take like different strategic decisions based on this. Okay, if we see that this is happening more and more and finding out again, like the data to action, to the insights, these kind of things. So the action might be, well, let's buy a plant. Let's secure that whole end-to-end line to our city to ensure that we have either the stockpiling or the production and all these kind of things. And that's when you can see that a city or resiliency, and that's what I wanted to ask about as well for the data centers, that it's not only the data center that is important, but it's how it interacts with, again, like the telcos, the entire grid, and to be able to spot these things before it happens. If I have in the data center... And there are a lot of stuff going on. And then you got a sudden like peak or something that happens suddenly, but you'll be able to predict it much, much faster. Then you're able to do like countermeasures again, like preemptively. And even if you have like everything in a digital twin and you have this, what do you call like SOPs and MOPs? Yeah. You can actually automate those as well. Yeah. Because if someone is asleep on the job or whatever, you just automate the response and then say, okay, these three things happened. We made these adjustments as in the computer did it. And then you just yeah. get a report of what was done. So yeah. again, like it's the data that you don't have that will change your life. That's what a lot of companies are yeah. seeing more and more, right? So and I think that's the most important thing. Like you work a lot with the data that you do have. You see that maybe you're making sense of it or maybe you're not even making sense of that. But it's actually the data that you don't have or the companies that they don't have that would change your life even more. 
So I think like, and that goes back to the harmonization and integration aspects that we talked about in the beginning, like that's the pain. So like harmonizing different data sources, making the integration, turning data to information, to insight, to action, to impact, following that whole line. I think that's, again, like what I'm helping customers with. And I think that's one of the most important things today to integrate things and to make sense of it as fast as possible. Why don't we have this data? Reading more about data centers, then now the next thing in data centers is going to be modular data centers. There's going to be an explosion of those. And they're saying the reason is because of uh, 5G coming. So as 5G comes, you need data centers closer to the source of where the data is being produced rather than somewhere further, especially uh, when you're talking autonomous driving, all the edge uh, type data that's going to be produced, you need the modular data centers. Do you think 5G is going to bring an explosion of data? Absolutely. Okay, so 5G, I'm not a super expert, but I know so like the implications of like the infrastructure. Okay, you have to rebuild every cell tower. It's it's quite a massive infrastructure that is needed. And you, you need way more uh, antennas. Or yeah, what? yeah, yeah. It's a totally different resiliency. Frequency. Again, we're talking a lot about resiliency. That may be the topic then, but you need a, a different resiliency in the entire infrastructure to be able to do this citywide, right? Now you can do it from point to point. You might have a warehouse, you put a 5G something there and you run 5G to and from that building. But if you want to have it more like for autonomous driving or all these kind of things, the resiliency that is needed for that sort of like geographical area is very much different to 3G, 4G, 2G, like the existing infrastructure. So that's huge cost for the telcos. They're scratching their heads. Okay, they know that they have to do it, quote unquote have to, but they are doing it and they have to recuperate the cost somehow, right? And if you yeah. look at something that is with 5G's network slicing, I don't know if you know about that. So you have a straw uh, that before just can transport data to and from, right, in, in one pipeline. Data slicing means, at least how I understand it, is that you can slice that straw into different segments. If you have 10 different or 20 different or 30 different uh, customers that want to provide services to, let's say, a smart factory, they can do that. You sort of like you harmonize it at the edge so you can slice the network in different pieces so you can have the cake and eat it too, more or less. But everyone is just like eating their own cake, but it contributes to the whole pipeline. So if we would have demanded like 30 different straws, like previous technology, now you can do it with the same straw, but you slice the straw in 30 different pieces. So that means that the, the telco or the MVNO, they can actually do it themselves as well. So it's just like, Offering more services in the existing channel. So like if you, if you had a TV before that can only have one channel, now you have the same TV that is more fancy. You can have taken like 30 channels or 100 channels or 1,000 channels, basically. So that's all like where the, the telcos are probably going to recuperate the cost or what they think that they're going to do it. The amount of data that is going to be transferred locally, yeah, absolutely, that's going to explode. And because like that re- goes back to the data strategy of the companies, because that's even more important. So when I'm talking to um, other companies that does edge analytics, I'm talking. I'll talk to probably the leading company in the U.S. They see that okay, that's the one of the biggest reasons why you have to do more computation on the edge or locally. Because okay, let's say right now you have this direct to cloud movement, right? So you push data to the cloud. You have a lot of the data center are, are like working really, really hard. Okay, the cloud is data center. So you're pushing the data to a data center. You have like all these computers working on algorithms. Then you push it back to locally, right? All that stuff is happening more and more and going to happen more and more locally. So you have more distributed power, more distributed intelligence, I would say, closer to the edge. If you're sending like 95% of your data to the cloud today, you probably should send 1% to the cloud tomorrow. So that stuff... 99% yeah. gets so like sorted or deleted or whatever based in algorithms closer to the source. So it's a combination of like a hybrid cloud. So yeah. you have it probably maybe a small, your own data center or your own server park closer to the edge where you have run your yeah. private cloud, right? And then you have the data center is probably bigger. That's sort of like operating on a city environment or city level. But so I don't know if that's what you mean with modular data centers, but it's definitely like the private clouds are going to drive this forward. And the data centers that, I mean, have to do much more. Everything is getting more distributed, which is interesting. But again, like it demands more resiliency, not only from the telco infrastructure, but from the whole infrastructure, including data centers, and for them to work in, in tandem. 
So they have to understand what the other stuff is doing in the city. If you're looking at it from your question was, okay, why are we not working more with the data that we don't have, right? Of course, which is the data that we don't have that can mean a lot of different things. But it's basically companies today, I mean, you work today with a vertical, right? A lot of companies today are working with verticals. So it could be even for sensor manufacturers, they have a sensor technology that could span lighting, it could span HVAC, it could span a lot of different things, but they have a sales guy working only with lighting and there's someone working only with HVAC and there's someone working only with something. So from a customer perspective, that's horrible because they want all three things into one, but they don't wanna converse three different people, right? So that's also adds to the fact, okay, we're only working with this silo data because everyone is providing siloed solutions and the hassle it takes of doing something else is difficult. So again, yeah. like the breaking the silos, taking out that data, making sense of that data is one of the most important things. But that's not what really what companies are doing today. So I mean, if you don't understand, like, why would you go out and look for the data that you don't have? But if they understand, companies understand, like, okay, it's not the data that you do have. Again, like it's more of philosophical reasoning. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the data that we don't have. That's where the value is. And if you understand that part, that's sort of like, okay, we need more harmonization with the data. We need a different approach. We need to work with integration, harmonization. And again, like from a data center perspective, okay, if it's the data center, it's not the data that we do have here in the data center, but it's actually the telco data. It's the smart grid stuff over here, or it's something over here, here, and here. That's going to add so much resiliency to how we operate as a data center, right? So again, it's just like looking at it that way and figuring out, so like what is the most important processes for us? And again, what is the data to impact loop or how do we measure resiliency? And what are the factors that are gonna affect the decisions of where to build, where to improve, how to improve? Is it gonna be like taking in GIS data, like geographical information data of this is the key place of building the data center and how they came up with that decision. I think like everything is going to happen more distributed. That's going to uh, create or like demand more resiliency of anything in terms of infrastructure. So again, like that's everything is going to work more in tandem and not in silo. So that's why I'm going to market with that data harmonization platform as well as a digital twin platform. Because I see those are the two things that solve all these challenges today with data harmonization and be able to trust the data where it's coming from. And it's also the digital twin approach. You have somewhere to store it. So that's some, everyone gets to work with the same data. One of the yeah. biggest problems today is, of course, with version management, that everyone makes decision of different pieces of data that is different across the whole spectrum. So in a commercial building, uh, your digital twin is much simpler than if you're looking, for example, at a manufacturing facility. Can you have multiple digital twins? One that's doing like the manufacturing, whatever process, conveyor belts, what, and then one that's doing our typical building systems that we're used to, or is everything going to be together? And if everything's going to be together, there isn't a company in the world that can do that now that has the domain expertise in manufacturing and in HVAC and in security. It's an extremely great point that you're making. My direct answer would be, no, I wouldn't say that you should have like four different digital twins because that's what like defeats the purpose of having a one true source of the data. So the basis is, again, like you're saying that not one company can do this because they don't specialize in HVAC or they don't specialize in these kind of things. That's a way to look at it that it's, I wouldn't say wrong, but I say that it's got some innate challenges with approaching a problem that way, right? So it's basically saying, okay, what standard is the best one, right? Which protocol is the best? I mean, this is a classic IoT problem as well. Like we don't see an IoT standard that does the job. So we're going to come up with something else that does everything. So it's more of looking at it, okay, how can we create a platform that has the ability to absorb different standards, different data from different vendors, different specificities from different industries into one digital twin and to make an ontology of ontologies based on all these different APIs and all these different sources. And that's where I can say like the platform I'm going to market with, they're doing exactly that. So that's why I, I am going to market with them 
because it's an agnostic digital twin that takes in data and it creates relations based on the data that exists in the digital twin. So they take in HVAC data, they take in process data, they can take in hardware data, any kind of data, okay? And they map up with the relations and they create a digital twin based on, like, the, let's say, the factory. It's as competent as you want it to be, but having it in separate digital twins, absolutely not. Having the yeah. digital twin as in, I am only going to use it for the production line. Fair enough. But then you're missing out on the HVAC stuff, on the building stuff, on what costs money, all of these kind of things. So it's, yeah. again, like in my worldview, at least, everything is going to be in a digital twin, right? So it's yeah. just a matter of where you're going to start. But you have to add to the digital twin that you're using. Otherwise, you're going to defeat the purpose of having a one true source where like whatever stakeholder that you want to be able to look at the data, they can, of course, go into the digital twin. They are going to see whatever they want to see, right? But the relationship yeah. with all the other stuff is there. But if I want to go and see HVAC data or like backnet objects or how that's whatever that could be, I can go in with my vision or my glasses and just look at that stuff. But if yeah. someone else wants to access something else, they are allowed to do so. And the major like difference to what we're working with today is that this is a unified database and it has relations with everything else. So if you want to run these scenarios of, okay, there's a chemical shortage here, how is that going to affect something else in the line using machine learning AI, you can do it. And one of the things with AI machine learning, of course, is that you need to access or have access to a as much quality data as possible, because otherwise you're making assumptions or you're taking scenarios out of context and yeah. you have to have the context. If you're yeah. looking at a building or let's say a factory and you only have the production line, you don't have the people or you don't have anything else, you're missing out on the context. And that's the challenge. So very long answer, but no to a lot of different digital twins. Yes, there are platforms that can cut it. I have them. So that's again, like why I believe in that this actually works and I can definitely see the future is around these ways as well as data harmonization fast and putting that somewhere where you can have like it from a life cycle perspective and the data that you put in, it just increases the value of the digital twin. And it has the potential reducing the costs of everything that you do as well, or, or just finding these insights, turning that into action and measuring the impact before you actually take the action as well. So if I'm understanding correctly, it's almost like whoever is responsible for the digital twin doesn't need to necessarily be a domain expert in anything. They got to be a domain expert in IT and normalizing data and creating data models and maybe not so much in the actual domain exactly, knowledge. Exactly. The digital twin platform that is creating digital twins, it's something that you get to a consultant, but it's also moving towards like self-service or no-code, low-code applications. So if you look at yeah. Node-RED or Sedona, where you have at least blocked programming, that's what's coming on more and more because then you can get to the domain-specific people. They can see their data. They create the relationships between themselves, but exactly. it's not like in an ontology of ontologies. They can massage the data without the access for data scientists in, in a high kind of way, as well as to all of these kind of things. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you don't have to have the domain-specific competence if you're... So like creating the digital. If that's the solution, then why doesn't the huge internet companies just create this digital twin and like they're more than capable of creating it and dominating the market if they don't really have to have the domain expertise and it's just a, a, all an IT solution. No, but right now, I mean, the platform that I'm going to market with is probably one of the first ones that I've seen, at least. I actually hate people that say that. Uh, because thinking that you are unique in a, like 6 billion, 7 billion yeah, planet, yeah. right? I think that's ridiculous. But it, it's one of the first ones that I've seen that has done something that is ready to go to market. And it solves this problem, to be honest. Did you say you can't mention the name or did you mention already? Or I haven't mentioned the name. I can't mention the name. It's Sakai. So it's more of a scale up. They're proving it with a large company with a gas turbines, mapping out like 65,000 parts and running that in digital twin. They're going at it with wind farms, basically anything in the built environment. So I thought like your reasoning, okay, why is this not happening? I mean, costs, uh, return on investments is still like pretty early on. All of these kind of things. I mean, we had the technology yeah. to create smart buildings for the last 30 years. 
I don't see a lot of smart buildings out there, to be honest. Uh, so the technology definitely exists. And today, the companies that I'm talking to is just, yeah, what is the cost of bankruptcy? What is the cost of being irrelevant? It's just like, yeah, we need to do this. We'll figure out how we're going to recuperate the cost later. I mean, this is just something that we have to do. It's as simple as that. The solution to that one is going towards more and more like these self-service solutions where you can give a platform or source like a tool set into the hands of the domain experts and they can more or less enable them to solve their problem in a way that before has required 20 consultants and 30 developers, right? It's faster time to value creation and it's something that is more or less future-proof. And I think that's the way the market is going towards. That's what I'm focusing on. Thanks a lot for the information about the data centers. I think that's really interesting. I really love the aspects of having these defined processes in place because I think that's what is missing a lot with any creation of any smart building as well, that you, you seem to do it a little bit ad hoc and a smart building can be, be whatever it is. And once you want to automate and standardize different processes, you actually have to do it from scratch. If you have already a way of doing these kind of things, it's so much easier to map them out in an automated way and to create it truly smart and also in relationship to other things as well. So I, I'm definitely going to look at that more. Yeah, and the resilience aspect, I think that's also extremely interesting from the digital twin play in looking at it from a bigger perspective and realizing it's not the data that you do have, it's the data that you don't have and how that affects what we do today and tomorrow. And to be able to map that out and understand like the interdependencies of other things as well. Exactly, exactly. Everything's moving so fast. Uh, I think other industries can learn a lot from data centers, which I found interesting. Just uh, crazy. Like I joined these data center conferences. Now they're all webinars, so that's so easy to join them. We're just starting to talk about machine learning and AI where they're like talking about lessons learned from machine learning and AI. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks a lot for that. Awesome. Thanks, Omar. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. And also a big thank you to our sponsor, Platform of Trusts. For those of you who want to collect, harmonize, and trust data from anywhere in the world and make sense of it in a much, much faster way than ever before. Thank you.